Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. Read the first 20 verses of Luke 2. <clears throat> the well-known real history of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ in the little town of Bethlehem, the various reactions celebrations, the pondering. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, at the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. We are <clears throat> full of Christmas, that is, society's Christmas, no doubt, many of us, I suppose, not all of us. And so I'll ask the question, hopefully you, you got your shopping done. Hopefully you're just about at the end of all of the nerve-wracking, it can be, gatherings, social gatherings, and all of the work that's required, maybe especially of the women, for getting together, going someplace, or having people over. Social gatherings seem to be the norm for our society. 
gatherings for work, for family, for friends. There's the gift giving and the baking. So much to do, so little time. Want at this time to focus, however, on what's not a doing. And what's not a doing, first of all, with regard to a celebration of the birth of the Savior. Not, not a doing, but a thinking. Amusing, in fact, not very exciting, but a musing, a meditation. And we find for this Mary in verse 19 of our chapter, chapter 2 of Luke. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This musing, this is something in distinction from what the shepherds were doing, going about and marveling and with all the people as well, and saying something and aloud and rejoicing in this announcement of the angels of the birth of the Son of God incarnate. But Mary's musing, nevertheless, though it was without all the hoopla and some, fl flesh, uh, some flash of excitement, is a very blessed thing. It was for her, and it is for us. And I believe the musing of Mary, in fact, is for us to think as a suitable and necessary first response to God with us. Muse about it. Meditate upon it. Then, of course, we shall be up and doing, but not after the musing. Don't forget the musing, the meditating, the pondering people of God. And so, for a few moments, let's meditate on and with Mary, musing with Mary of the marvels of Christmas. That's what I want us to think about. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, musing with Mary of the marvels of Christmas. First of all, the marvels, then the musing, and then the more, because this leads to something, does musing, which is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's a reaction here in Mother Mary, Jesus' mother, to the things that have been heard by her directly and then by her or by her through the angel, the, uh, the shepherds who witness of this visit of the angels and the heavenly host. It's a reference, in fact, first of all, to all the things that the shepherds had told her in verses 9 through 12. Remember the shepherds, oh, what, what men of no repute, but in this narrative, their front and center is those who were honored in a special way the visit of angelic host to announce the birth of the Son of God. In verse 9, we read uh, that the angel of the Lord had come upon them and the glory of the Lord had shone round about those shepherds so that they were sore afraid. In verse 10, the angel of the Lord had said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people and then verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel who announced these things then was joined by a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and what a hallelujah chorus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
So Mary is no doubt thinking about these things. This is what the text is alluding to, first of all. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. But I believe, no doubt, beloved, we can go further back in Mary's recent history, especially since these things that were now told her confirmed what had been told her wonderfully in the days and weeks prior to this. She's thinking, no doubt, in her heart and musing of the events surrounding the birth of her son. I'm going back to Luke 1 and verse 26 and following. No doubt she's recalling that she herself had been visited by the angel Gabriel sent from God declaring her highly favored and that the Lord was with her. This visit of angels was nothing new to Mary and she could have even told the disciples, oh yeah, you had that visit of angels? Well, I had this one, but she didn't. She just pondered these things that angels would come to shepherds and to her and to her and to shepherds. So God declared her highly favored and that the Lord was with her and that she was blessed of all women How about that? And that she was so because she would soon bring forth a son, Jesus, who would be called great, who would be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God would give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. How's that for a message to ponder that had been delivered personally by an angel from heaven? And this all would be this conception of such a son, Mary was told, Joseph was told, by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus would have no earthly father, and the Holy Spirit of God would come upon Mary, and the power of the highest, the angel said, would overshadow her so that that which would be born of her would be a holy child, not stained with original sin, And he would be called the son, not just of Mary, not even primarily of Mary, but the son of God. Much to think about. And much to think about, not only because it had been prophesied to her by an angel, but it had come to pass. There had been this Holy Spirit Conception in her womb. And then, cousin Elizabeth, to whom the Lord had been given miraculous conception in her old age, had announced under the inspiration of the Spirit the blessedness and honor of Mary. And leaping with joy at the occasion, always happy to point to Jesus, as we know, the baby John leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. And by that same Spirit of God, Mary herself had responded to Elizabeth's congratulations with her Magnificat, as we call it, Luke 1, 46 through 45, exalting the mercy of God, magnifying the Lord, and expressing joyous faith. And lo, the son whom angels had announced had not only been conceived, he's now born, lying in a manger, perhaps in Mary's arms as she takes all this in. Gives us goosebumps and more because there's something divine here. 
something of the Lord. One-of-a-kind birth of a one-of-a-kind son and a one-of-a-kind musing of Mary, the mother of our Lord. These things on which she was musing, and you take them all together, you can come up with seven or 20, 27 things that are these marvelous things. And the first thing that I muse upon and mused upon in preparing for this sermon what that, is that these things that she's musing upon were historical. She was not hysterical. This was historical. This was not hallucination of the shepherds or of herself or of Elizabeth. It's real and it's not made up. So this is a real marvelous thing. And what's so marvelous about these things she's thinking upon is that you'd never think of it. You'd never think it would be possible because, well, God is spirit and how now can he be with us in the flesh? God is eternal, and how now can he be in history? There's a miracle going on here, a marvelous thing that's never been seen before. In Old Testament's appearances of Jesus as the angel of the Lord were not incarnations. And those who are representatives of the Lord and of Messiah, prophets and priests and kings, for example, and Melchizedek, they were not God, but this one is God, this Son. God manifest in the flesh. These are historical things of an eternal God. Impossible things as well, because Mary's a virgin and Elizabeth is someone who is beyond the age of conception. This is inconceivable. These conceptions are inconceivable. Think about that. Nothing can enter into the thought of man that this would happen. It's not, you see, scientific. It's not just not normal. It's just beyond science and laws and all of these things that we come up with as bespeaking things that are real in history, according to logic according to laws of nature and so on. This is impossible. And then as well, there's things going on here of judgment. There is no room after all for Jesus at the inn. This bespeaks of God who's come into the darkness and the darkness does not receive him. There is here some ethical, moral ethical component in the marvel of this whole thing and the marvel of it is that sinners would not receive their Savior. They would not recognize in Jesus that this one had to be born this way as God with us or there's no salvation. But they're saving things, of course, and that's paramount here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The angels have a message of the Savior and his name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a great message. And the people who sit in darkness, one province or another, they're all in darkness, have seen a great light. Also in Bethlehem, in the fields, and by the manger. These are grace things as well. That's why they're so marvelous. Grace is always marvelous. 
If you're preaching grace and you think you're living by grace and you're not astonished by grace, you're not really living grace or preaching grace. Free is this gift. God alone would pay for it. You don't have to pay a dime. It's given. It's given to you freely. That's grace. Grace is the one truth of the Bible among many, I suppose, yes indeed, that sets Christianity apart from all of the other ladder-climbing religions, scaling mountain religions, earning something with God religions. Christianity has none of that, and Christmas is that which this is all about, the gospel of the grace of God. God, you see, isn't welcome, but he elbows his way in, no, he incarnates his way in to the inn and into hearts for the sake of his own. This as well is a marvelous thing because it's a covenant word promise keeping of things. You see, all of the Bible is being fulfilled here. All that was said in Genesis and uh, the law, not only, and the prophets and the Psalms is realized here. There is this fulfillment of this Son of God, this child is born, this Son who's given, and His name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, the fulfillment of everything that God ever said about his son that would happen it is now come to pass. The significance of Luke 2, 1, it came to pass. All the words of the Bible, so very wonderful, so true, met in Jesus this day. And then what is really the one thing that Mary is pondering and that one thing of all things which is in all things, which is evident by all things, and it's this, God is with us. God is with us. That's what we heard last night. Great the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh, God is with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here is the representation, the express image of God, the invisible God. To see Jesus is to behold God with us. That's all that it's about. That is, everything is wrapped up in that theme, God with us, glory born in a manger, God with us keeping his promise in his Son, the mystery now revealed of godliness God manifest in the flesh. Great tidings, great joy, which shall be to all people, to you, beloved. Receive this Christmas gift. Mary was overwhelmed by this, of course. The darkness was giving way to the dawn, the light of God. The way is now open for pardon and peace. The head of Satan is about to be bruised. Liberty is to be proclaimed to the captives. The recovering of sight to the barn, the, uh, to, excuse me, to the blind, 
The mighty truth proclaimed that God would be just and for Christ's sake justify the ungodly. Salvation is made known. This son who's born and wrapped in swaddling clothes is the unopening by God himself of the great present of his presence. Here it is, the gift of Christmas. The stone, the first stone of God's kingdom is now set up on earth. Glory to God in the highest. Much more could be said about the great and marvelous things of which Mary was pondering. But Mary doesn't say anything about them. We're just saying them in a sermon. She mused. That's really what's being described here is my second point. The musing of Mary. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. All those who'd heard the saying of the shepherds marveled at those things which are told them by the shepherds. But in contrast, Mary's quiet. She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Seven or so things about this pondering and this keeping of those things. First, she kept them. She guarded them. She held them fast. That's the idea of that verb. She kept them so that she wouldn't let them slip from her mind. She was so keen on the angel messages of the past weeks and months, and now here through the shepherds, she didn't want to lose anything. Her memory was called to the task of holding fast what she might be tempted to forget in the weakness of her flesh. And imagine that, <laughs> that she would forget that. Well, she's a sinner. Yes, Mary is a sinner in a fallen world. And we lose things. We lose our keys. We forget things. We forget names. Pastor forgets names and so on. And we forget even holy things. But she guarded them. She guarded these truths. You see, she knew something of her sin, and sin takes away from us our power to consider truth. Instead, Mary, by faith, is keeping all these things like a guard over prisoners. She is one who's taking captive the word of God, as it were. She wants it to be hers for all of her life. There's something here she's never heard before. Not just the messengers are different, but the message is different. And it's so personal. And it's so motherly of her to want to have a good record of the birth of her son and the announcements. Who wouldn't? And so she seeks this guarding of the things. And then she, she pondered them. She pondered them in her heart, in her heart, in her being 
of beings, her inner being, where there's a relationship with God. That seems to be the difference between heart and soul. Soul is what all people have, and even animals have a soul, but this has to do with life and earthly life. But the spirit of a man and the heart of a man and a woman, that's that component of us, this faculty, as it were, this inner being, whereby we're given to relate to God. In her heart, God having related to her with words from his messengers, his angels, wants to ponder these things. She ponders them in her heart. The idea of that word is that she would, was putting things together, Mary was. Not as some higher critic and saying, well, this thing doesn't fit with that, so I'm going to take this and not that. But as a submissive believer that all of these things somehow fit together. As we would say when we're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, gospels, there's differences here, but there's not contradictions. There's something here that's more than a puzzle where some of the, people, uh, the pieces weren't even given to us and they don't even fit, it just doesn't work. There's something here of wisdom that she's recognizing and that she's showing in this pondering, putting things together, seeing how it all fits. She's in a great, great realm, the study of wisdom. So she had material words to think about. She kept them all, and then she worked with it, thought about it, pondered them, reflected upon them. And she did this in her heart. There's a moral thing you see going on here out of the heart of the issues of life, the proverbist says. And so she knew this was an issue of life. It wasn't just some kind of knowledge she would have. It was some kind of knowledge that she could live by and would live by, and this would be good. There's all this going in this musing. It wasn't some philosophizing about something vain and untrue and might be true tomorrow and not true the next day. She was holding in her heart something good. There was goodness being communicated here. The angels, you see, didn't come from Harvard. They came from heaven. They had something to say. And Mary knew it. She pondered them in her heart, having kept them. And her focus, another thing about this musing, was on the son, as God's son, not just her own. Of course, every mother thinks about her son, her firstborn. Look at my baby. But her reflections were centered on, look at God's baby. This was the beginning of this tearing in her heart that would be between being the mother and therefore the mother of the son and Jesus being her son and her recognizing that Jesus is the son of another, even the father in heaven. And so she's focusing on this son who is her son, but especially God's son. She's not focusing on the angels. 
That's so very important, isn't it? Nowadays, the Christmas carols and the Christmas festivities focus on anything but the sun, but this mother is focusing on the sun, and not just her son, for whom she's proud, but uh, she is, and certainly she's not forgetting her son, her sucking child, amazing, but she's thinking of the son of this father God. It has to be. This is what she knows is the truth. All her life will be wrestling with that. So it's a son to nurse. That's the mother. Motherhood kicks in. The breasts are full. The breasts will make the son full and to grow and be healthy. But this son on the breast is her Lord to worship. This son to care for is a savior to save her. His crying bathe to soothe is one to whom she will cry out for mercy. A babe who needs to be instructed. That's what Jesus is, who is the very word of God. All of these things that don't fit our minds are nevertheless the plan of God. Think of that. She's thinking of this. She's doing what we would call useless things, meditation, Bible study, and so on, but they're not useless at all. They're very useful to advance in holiness. They stir the life of the soul. The life of the soul to be doing Christians, as we shall see, it's for the life of worship, a life of discipleship. And Mary, you see, is this kind of person. She's a, a thoughtful, quiet person. She's this woman who's Adornment is the meek and quiet spirit. She's a thinker. Later on, we'll read that she keeps this thinking going on. She muses, no doubt, of Simeon's answer uh, or announcement of a son who's set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, Luke 2, 34 and 35. For a sign that will be spoken against, a sword who will pierce through your own soul, Mary, also that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. No doubt, Simeon's announcement gave her to pondering more. And Jesus, when he was 12 years old, remember that? He went to the, the temple. His mother there, in Luke 2, 51, comes, or Luke 2 and, and, and 48 and following, comes looking for Jesus, whom they hadn't seen in days, he says, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And then he says to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to him. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. There she is again. Jesus is 12. She's still musing. Not just her personality, but she has much subject matter in this son who's growing. In the son now who's almost dissociating himself from his parents and emphasizing that he has come to serve his father in heaven. In distinction from everybody who is very captivated by the wisdom and understanding of Jesus, and they say so, she's simply thinking about this. Putting it all together as not only a mother, but as a handmaiden of the Lord, as she says. So, there's Mary. 
Now back to her musing, but back to that in distinction from others. Because our text, after all, says Mary was keeping these things, and there was a difference, therefore, between her and everyone else who was hearing and marveling of the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, we're told, by way of contrast, was simply and profoundly musing on the profound. Different hers from the reaction to Christ's birth by many, and that's also today. In fact, these ones who are astonished by the things that were told them by the shepherds and who wondered at them did not necessarily wonder at these things by faith. Revelation 13, verse 3, we read that the world wonders after the beast. Same word. You can wonder at something, even something divine, and not be a believer. You're just wondering at the uniqueness of this visitation from heaven or from hell. This wondering, in fact, of certain ones here is suspect. The tense that's used of the ones who marveled when they heard of the things of the shepherd is in the aorist. It doesn't describe their wondering as an ongoing thing, but a one-time thing. They received the message of the shepherds, sensed the thrill of the shepherds, got the goosebumps, but it may very well have soon faded. As soon as the stores were closed, the tree was put away, and life went on to bring this up to date. In fact, what brings this suspect uh, suspicion idea uh, more credibility is that there was a bunch of them. All those who heard this thing marveled at what they had been told. There was, there was a crowd, it seems, an overwhelming majority, even a simple majority, among men is almost always suspect. Whether you read it in the Bible, whether you hear it in the news and so on, whether it's a movie that's popular, maybe even a movie by Jesus and brings a lot in at the box office and so on, beware when a majority approves of things, like Jesus coming and them wanting to show him fanfare his last week on earth. Same crowd, the end of the week says, crucify this crazy man. But Mary pondered these things in her heart, and she kept on being a amusing sort of women uh, or of woman. And, beloved, we are too as well. And I bring this toward a close, this sermon. But certainly Mary here, in distinction from many, is set as an example She kept all these things that we should in our hearts and pondered them in her heart as we should in ours. We shouldn't muse and meditate. In Luke 8 and also Matthew 13, the parable of the different soils that receive the word, we read that the good ground hears the word and keeps it, just like Mary heard the word and kept it. The rest, 
they bore some kind of fruit, but as soon as anxieties and cares of this life came by, they just, they weren't word people anymore. They'd heard it for a while. But the good soil people, they hear the word and they keep it. And the result of it is they bring forth fruit with patience and to the praise of God. That's the idea. That's what musing is. Musing is thinking so that you can muse some more and think some more about God and then be this person who's affected in all of life, who is a really Christian and Christmas Christian and cross Christian who has the word now to live by. We're to muse. And this is so hard because we're just like the world, so busy. And you think even of Mary, how distinct her musing was and how advantaged she is even over us because she's the mother of our Lord and none of us is the mother of our Lord. She alone, most highly favored among women, Mary, not sinless as the Roman Catholics sake but in a position to be the mother of the Lord. That's amazing. Amazing. What a situation she was in. Well, we're not in that situation, and and men, we're not even mothers. We're not even women to understand these things of what it is to meditate upon a child who's so special. You ladies have that over us when you have children, but even not all of women are mothers, and And so there's a disadvantage we have as we're thinking about musing like Mary. But then, of course, the problem is not our sex, but that we have children or don't. So we don't have faith. That's our problem. That's my problem. Little, little faith. Faith that joins itself to unseen things, even when looking at a son Even when the son is at the breast, Mary had to believe the words that she'd heard. The identity underneath the skin of this wonderful child who's God with her in her arms. What an amazing thing. She had to believe this, and we must as well. And her Thinking upon this and keeping them was because it was worth it to her. This was a good thing, and she latched on to this good thing, this gospel thing. I'm never going to let my son go, is what she was saying. But she'd have to learn, of course, and the sword would slash right through her very being that her son would have to be given over to be crucified for her sins, and she had to learn the hard way that she was part of the problem. She is why her very son would die. Because the nature of all sin and even of Mary's, however holy she was, and we're glad for that, was not to receive God, but to do away with him. Let's be real about that. But all of us, when we're too busy and we're caught up in the things of life, we're saying the same thing. Too little concerned are we of the matters of eternal life. We're just here for the presence. 
We're just here for a break. We're just here to come together with family and not to come together with God. Beloved, don't waste your life coming together with family and friends or wanting to, if you're friendless, family-less. Come together with God. He's come together with you and he's given us faith and he says now by the example of Mary and by everything in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, think on these things in your heart. Take it in, take it in like a meal that you live by, that you grow by. Don't be as the crowd, interested in their giving and their gifts. Be Christian, loving God for his gift. And then the response will necessarily be, and lovely it is to see, a whole life that follows. Mary's life was to serve the Lord. No doubt, as a stay-at-home mom, she's guarding her thoughts, she's going to guard this child. She's watching his every move as a mother, but as a believer. She loves this Jesus. That's her calling, to raise this son of man, son of... Her calling. And her, in a unique way, every time... She did the dishes for this son and Joseph as long as he was living and the others who would come. This wasn't the only baby that Mary would have. As long as she did the dishes, there would be this sign as was the want of a woman whose job was to be a stay-at-home mom. Divine service done three times a day over the sink. Ordinary stuff done in an ordinary way for an, or an extraordinary way by faith for a wonderful God. And this wonderful God clinging to her legs as he grew and growing in grace and in wisdom, as the Bible says. In ours, beloved, the result of musing faithfully upon Christmas is, well, let's list uh, several of the fruits, and so we'll know if we're musing and, or not, and we have to improve. Like joy. <laughs> you know, Mary, she comes across as a muser, and it's amusing to us, I suppose, whenever she doesn't muse right away, but really rebukes Jesus, she gets into trouble because she starts contradicting Jesus. And Luke chapter 2, and you'll read that of John 2 as well, where Jesus is at the wedding of Cana and, and uh, there's no wine left. And Mary says, well, there's no more wine. And Jesus looks at her and says, You're, my time hasn't come to pass. Mary seemed to be going ahead of Jesus. 
But what happens is she's one who went ahead of her musing, but that doesn't mean, beloved, that she just kept musing, and every time she wanted to do something for Jesus, that's what seems to be happening here, do, do something for the kingdom of which he's king, whatever she knew of that, and we, we don't want to read too much into what Mary knew. It doesn't mean that she always flubbed up, that she always was not just being a good mom, but a, but a terrible understander of the things of the kingdom. Times she got it, like, just like us. Times we get it, times we don't. We grow in the knowledge of God, and we love this, and it's all because of our musing. And the result is that it's not about a personality that says, I'm just going to be a muser, I'm going to be a meditator, I'm going to hold out my arms and say, om, or something like that, to call in the gods. Of course not. But Christianity is not just for a personality type that's thoughtful. We're all to be thoughtful, and then we're all to be fruitful. So that the musing is not seen as moroseness and grimness and sadness. In this time, Mary is pondering these things in distinction from those who were marveling at these things. And no doubt, Mary herself showed joy and Joseph, and the others around her. And this is for all Christians to remember. Be those who are thinkers, who are theologians, who are meditative, who are in the Word, who like quiet time. You should all be this way in one degree or another. Even if you don't like books, read creation. Think about the things you know from the sermons and so on. But then don't you dare be just thinkers, be doers of the Word of God. One of those things is to be rejoicers. The Bible calls us to rejoice. That's kind of a sad and shameful thing, that in the church we need to be reminded of that. Rejoice! And Paul needs to remind the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And then twice, and again, I say rejoice. That's what we need to do. In this world, falling to pieces as we speak, killing off the generations with wicked abortions, with wars, and with all kinds of greed and avarice and people tromping on other people to get to the top of the corporate mountain. It's a killing ground, not a happy place, this world. But Christians, if we be Christians, are happy. With yourself, with God who's with yourself. Because he's not just with us, he's with you. He's with us in general, he's with the church, he's with you in all of your life and mine. Rejoice, which means love God back. For as John says here in his love, manifest that God gave his son. First John. Love God back. Worship. He's given unto you. Give. And one more thing. As you're living and giving and singing, go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere. 
Jesus Christ, your Savior, the Savior of a whole world of people, is born. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us and help us to meditate upon the things that have come from heaven, even the wonderful gospel things of the birth of the Savior. We pray to be the happy people, the holy people, the giving, the loving, the worshiping people, the witnessing people, because you've given us to muse on the wonderful things that have come to pass. Oh, bless this congregation. May it be truly Christmas Christian in all aspects of that word. May it be a light in the world, for Jesus is the light of the world and of us. In his blessed name we pray, amen.